This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Before this week's episode, I wanted to take a moment to let y'all know about the devastating floods happening in Pakistan right now. Over 30 million people have been affected with the death toll around 1,100 and rising with every passing day. Entire buildings are being washed away with many people sustaining injuries. I encourage every listener to donate any amount they can to help alleviate this disaster. You can find a list of organizations to send funds to linked in the show notes. These stories had to be written down. The thing with South Asia and many other ancient cultures of the world is that all our histories are oral. While there is such a beauty in these oral traditions, there is also real fear that these stories will get lost if they're not written down. I really felt that, that I didn't want these nuances to be erased. I wanted there to be a record of them. Where do you go if you want to pay tribute to someone? Most people would visit a specific place, like a grave, a memorial, or a site that has been well-preserved for visitors. But what if you don't have any of those places at your disposal? Neither India nor Pakistan have any memorials dedicated to partition. There is no communal place to reflect on this grief. One of the only ways we can ensure that memories and stories of those who went through this very distressing event don't get lost is by preserving their oral histories. Children and grandchildren of partition survivors took it upon themselves to start asking questions, recording interviews, and writing down stories that their elders told them. It became clear that if they didn't note these histories, no one else would. 
From iHeartRadio, I'm Neha Aziz, and this is Partition, a podcast that will take a closer look into this often forgotten part of history. My grandparents from my father's side, my paternal grandparents and my dad, when he was a baby, they migrated from Lahore to what is now India in 1947. And it was a forced migration. It wasn't something that they wanted to do. But, you know, like millions of people, they were uprooted from their home. And, uh, you know, I grew up in India the first 10 years of my life. I was an army kid. So I lived in a lot of different places, including Jammu and Kashmir. That's Dr. Gunita Singh Bala, the founder of the 1947 Partition Archive. You may recall her telling us about the vast differences between what she learned about partition from her family versus what she learned from school from episode two. This discrepancy is something that has stayed with her for decades. When Gunita traveled to Japan to conduct research for her PhD, she visited the Hiroshima Peace Memorial. It was here that she was inspired to document the stories of her family and community in an archive. We had read books in high school about the history of the atomic bombing of Japan and so on. But when you hear from survivors, it really hits you in a different way because you connect with it on a human level. You hear it in their voice, you see it in their expressions. You hear how it impacted their very human lives. She quickly understood this way of storytelling is one that demands attention. It is not something that could easily be swept under the rug. I realized in that moment that, you know, the power of witness testimony, that we needed to hear the story of partition directly from people who lived through it. Because if I said something like I did to my school teacher, it was dismissed very easily. But when my grandmother, who lived through it, She told it differently. She told it through every form of expression available to her. It was very instinctive because she had lived through it. And you can't really deny that, you know? This was Gunita's aha moment. I sort of casually started recording stories on a trip to Punjab in 2009. People thought it was insane, like really strange what I was doing. People who had witnessed it started to line up. And it was like, oh, there's a need. Like, people want to tell their story. Ever since then, Gunita has been devoted to collecting these memories. Through this work, she's realized that every moment is fleeting. In 2009, I finished my PhD and I moved to Berkeley to do my postdoc. And in 2010, a family member that I was going to interview, the last member of my family in that 90s age group, I forgot my camera when I went to go talk to him. Um, Before I came back a couple months later with my camera, he died. I was like, wow, this is a wake-up call. Like, I have lost the adult version of my story or in my family. But there are millions of other families out there who still have this memory of partition and it needs to be documented before the world forgets. She said it was overwhelming and overpowering and there was nothing that was going to stop her. Every cell in my body was committed to making this happen. At this time, Gunita had a strenuous career as an experimental condensed matter physicist at UC Berkeley. 
She was working constantly, but somehow she was still able to find time to look for subjects to interview. Somehow I was finding time to go and table at mosques and mandirs and gurdwaras in the Bay Area. And people were lining up to sign up to tell their story. She realized she needed to enlist people to help her if she wanted to keep up with the demand. So I started speaking at student clubs, at various South Asian groups. You know, I, I was new to the Bay Area. I didn't know anyone, which I think really helped because I didn't have that fear of judgment. You know, I kind of just started doing this stuff. So that's how our initial teams were formed. And it was just, um, you know, there was a lot of obstacles, but I think when you are so drunk on an idea, when you're so absolutely committed and you feel it to your core, nothing can stop you. So that's how it happened. And I was working around the clock. She recalls her home turning into a library in a way. She had a lot of video and recording equipment from a variety of places. Sometimes people would stop by and borrow tape recorders and other equipment from her to record oral histories of people they knew. Kunitha spent hours and hours digitizing all the tapes she collected. So my computer was running 24-7. So that's kind of how it started. Uh, We started teaching in order to, you know, the idea was to crowdsource. And basically the idea was that you can use the internet to get support from other people to solve big problems. So I was like, well, why don't we do that? Why don't we come together to document partition? So we collaborated with UC Berkeley's Regional Oral History Office and um, learned how to conduct oral histories properly, developed training modules. And, you know, I had a lot of teaching experience in other fields, but it was very easy to adapt that to oral history. She created a webinar where thousands of people all over the world could take a course and learn how to record these histories. What was originally a side project turned into a fully-fledged organization. We've documented stories from, I believe, 14 or 15 countries at this point, more than 500 cities and villages, 36 languages, over 10,000 oral histories of partition, which was our founding goal. To showcase the magnitude of what Kunita created, I'm going to walk you through the website. Once you reach the 1947 Partition Archive, you're shown a map that is incredibly interactive. You can see where people migrated from, where they migrated to, their current city. You can zoom in on different areas and you can see the number of stories that are located in each city and village. It's truly, truly incredible. Within moments, you have thousands of stories of partition survivors at your fingertips. That being said, one unfortunate and common reality of partition is that many people are still looking for siblings, friends, and other loved ones whom they were separated from back in 1947. I asked Kunita if she came across any stories like this. Yes, we have connected lots and lots of brothers and sisters, friends and family and cousins who were separated in 1947. So that's been a part of our work for a decade now. Interestingly, in 2011, I had documented this man, Delvir Banu. I had documented his grandmother's story in the San Francisco Bay Area, and he was really inspired by what we were doing. The man wanted these interviews to be put up on YouTube, but the archive was unable to do that at that time. 
In this discussion, I told her about an article I read earlier in the Washington Post about two brothers who were reunited after 74 years. And in a lovely and surprising twist, the same man she mentioned helped create the same YouTube channel that showcased the brothers meeting again. He actually started his own channel. It's called Punjabi Leher. It's a live thing. They go and they talk to people who migrated in 1947. So same thing as us, but they focus only on Punjab and they do it live. And it's not like a rigorous oral history, if you will. It's more like a conversation and, uh, you know, like a little TV show where they visit. It's a beautiful thing that they've done. While friends and family being reunited after decades is a wonderful thing to see, these moments are constantly plagued by the immalleable borders of India and Pakistan. India and Pakistan have a very complex relationship with each other because of the lasting legacy of partition. It is still near impossible today for Pakistanis to visit India and for Indians to visit Pakistan. The wounds of 1947 still run very deep. Gunita and I really commiserate over this. In my 20s, when I was like traveling all over the world for conferences, doing this and that, for my academic work, and even in general, you know, just for fun, I, I was really floored by the fact that it was so easy for me to travel everywhere except Pakistan. That's like the motherland. That's where we're all from. She was a lot more composed in our conversation than I was, but we came to a hopeful thought. Perhaps with the number of oral history projects out there and the more stories of reunions coming out, there is a slight glimmer that maybe slowly but surely these walls and barriers will come down. Now we have people who made the effort to open up that Kritarpur corridor. People are starting to take small steps and I think projects like ours and others are helping to break those boundaries finally. The Qatarpur Corridor is home to a Sikh holy site that is on the Pakistani side of the border. It sits only three miles from India, and it wasn't until 2019 that the area became a visa-free crossing. This corridor was the only way the aforementioned brothers could physically meet. I think if we keep working at it, all of us in our generation, I think we can help you know, ease some of these tensions, which really don't need to be there if you really dig deep. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu From BBC Radio 4 
Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. At the top of the episode, the voice you heard was of author and oral historian Anchal Malotra. She acknowledged her fear about these stories disappearing, if there wasn't a record of them anywhere. Over many years, she has talked to numerous people about partition and their memories associated with it. But it wasn't until 2013 she thought to start writing a book called Remnants of Partition, 21 Objects from a Continent Divided. It might seem strange to some that I have written a book about mere objects carried across the border when I could very well have written about the enormity of memory and experience that survives. And I must admit that at times during my interviews, I did feel uncomfortable and perhaps even petty to be continually asking about things people brought when clearly they had witnessed so much horror along the path to safety. But still, I would persist. What did you bring? How much did you bring? How did you bring it? What did you leave behind? Why these things? Things, things, things. I have learned to say things in so many different languages, it alarms me. But I will say this, that continuing to remember clearly is very difficult. And so my entry point into the memory of that time remains the material object, the personal possession. It is still my main gateway to 1947 and the life before it. Fabrics and documents and soil and stones and touch and smell and caress. In October of 2013, Ancho was on sabbatical from grad school and returned to India. One of her friends mentioned to her that he was writing about old houses in Delhi. He was interested in visiting Ancho's nanas, her maternal grandfather's home for his project. My Nana's eldest brother, I remember he left the room and he came back with an array of objects. And he said that if you have to talk about the past, then, you know, these objects are also old and you must talk about them as well. And 
two objects from that pile, which were a medium-sized vessel in which lassi is made, a ghara, and a yardstick called a guz, had been carried by his family from Lahore to Amritsar. And they were obviously by far even older than the house we were standing in. And I had never seen those objects before. They were so ordinary, so mundane. And there was nothing exceptional about them except for the stories that emerged. When he began touching the object, caressing it, talking about it, it's like he remembered his childhood in Lahore. He remembered the gali. He remembered eating chilgozas. He remembered drinking the kind of, you know, what milk they drank. He remembered what the house looked like. He remembered his father using the yardstick in their clothing store. He remembered their mother making lassi in the ghara. And it was just such a visceral transportation. Anchal's words brought me back to the conversation I had with my mom in episode one, where she said she would take a photo of her family, an object that couldn't easily be replaced. I often think about what my family members brought with them. A newspaper, a book, a piece from a school uniform. I can only really wonder since my living grandparents don't remember what they brought after 75 years have passed. When I saw the item question from Home 1947, I asked myself, what would I have brought if I was in this position? From time to time, this question pops up in my head and I still don't have any idea. So I just had never considered objects to be portals of the past, which of course they are. You know, the minute you infuse them with memory. And I think that kind of unfolding of the past that happened that afternoon, I couldn't forget it. And I kept uh, thinking about what people carry. Actually, that was the first thought, like, what did they carry and how could they carry things? And, you know, if you're leaving your home at a moment's notice, what are the things that you take? What is valuable to you emotionally or monetarily? What do you carry? And so I basically started a small exercise for myself in Delhi asking refugees who had migrated at the time of partition what they carried. One of the chapters and remnants of partition is devoted to Anchal's grandmother, Bag Malotra, who speaks of a piece of jewelry that belonged to her mother. I showed you the knife, but I almost forgot that my mother brought one other thing with her all the way from the frontier. It was the only thing she made sure to take, and now it is with me. But you have seen it already many times. This was once a mantika something to be worn on the head. The stones are peculiar to the frontier and are found only in that region. My mother received it as a wedding gift from her mother-in-law and I believe it had been in my father's family for quite a while before that. But what I remember, she never wore it after her wedding ceremony, just looked at it from time to time. When she left Pakistan though, She made sure to bring it because she thought she could sell it and get some money to raise and educate us. I remember her telling us how she had tied it within the folds of her clothes for fear of being robbed on her way to Delhi. It was precious. It would have brought us a hefty sum, even at that time. But I don't think she could have parted with it. And in a way, this piece of jewelry was the only thing that remained of her leg.
once again, the subject of the borders came up. In addition to being an author, Anchal co-created the Museum of Material Memory with her friend, Navda Malotra. This online depository shares the same idea of objects telling stories. So as I was working on recording stories of objects, many people started getting in touch with me that had nothing to do with partition but had aged objects in their home. And these objects were sometimes even used, you know, like utensils in the kitchen or uh, fabrics that had been passed down the generation that was still worn. And uh, they would ask me to come and write stories about this. But I started thinking, firstly, about the accessibility of the archive. You know, I am based in India, but I would love for things to be seen by everybody. And by everybody, I mean Indians in the diaspora, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis, the diaspora of those two countries, Nepalese, Afghanis, people from Sri Lanka. How would you do that? And the other thing I started thinking about was, wouldn't it be great if people started archiving stories of their objects on their own? She emphasizes that intergenerational stories unrelated to partition are just as important for the public to know. Much like Prithika's work from last week's episode, the idea of accessibility and resonating with one another across borders is a vital theme. I think that by doing that, we not only are able to encompass, obviously, more of a geographic diversity, but also include, you know, those kinds of communities that really weren't impacted by partition, but whose histories have also gone unrecorded. And I think the object is a great way to enter into something that is relatively unknown because you have something tangible in your hand. With a region whose borders continue to be so tenuous, sometimes the digital is really a gift because it is borderless. And it allows us to um, converse freely. I mean, yeah, the internet can be a really harmful place in that sense as well. But I think for us, it was really a gift because the common section of the archive is really beautiful because people find, I suppose, aspects of themselves in other people's objects. Oh, my mother had something like that. Or how interesting, can you tell me where you're from? My grandfather migrated from that place, you know? So I think it was really about storytelling through the objects. You can't walk on the soil of your ancestors because of this border. There are a lot of obstacles standing between you and your history. But I think the great paradox of partition also is when Indians and Pakistanis meet overseas and how they immediately relate to one another and they feel like they are speaking to their own. You know, I am Indian and you are Pakistani Neha. But I know so many Nehas that are Indian. And I I feel like you are one of my own because you relate to what I say. You understand my language. You can pronounce my name in the right way. We have shared history which ultimately also means we have shared pain, which eventually, I hope over the years, will mean we can have shared reconciliation. It was at this point that I began to cry. Anshal touched upon a truth that I'm sure Indians and Pakistanis must know to be universal, is that there is so much more that unites us than divides us. I told her that I don't consider myself a pessimist, I may be more of a realist, but the light and optimism that Anshul possesses honestly made me reconsider the mentality I have for my everyday life. I think it's very easy to be quite sad about what has happened in the past, but partition, it can teach us lessons for the future. 
It can teach us how we want to live in the present and what kind of future we want to have for our children. And I know that the work I'm doing, it may not make a difference now because one book cannot really make a difference. But, you know, many writers together, many artists together, musicians, dancers, choreographers, filmmakers, a cultural movement can make a difference. You see Miss Marvel in Hollywood and you feel seen. You feel like the pain that you may not have been able to voice ever has found a voice. And you feel like, yeah, this is my story. When I watch Miss Marvel, I'm not Pakistani. I'm not an immigrant. I don't live in America. But everything that Kamala lived through, reckoning with her history, being in Karachi, speaking to her grandmother, trying to make new associations with this catastrophic event that she has not lived through but has defined the generations of her family, I related to that. I think that, you know, empathy is borderless. You don't need to be Indian or Pakistani to be able to empathize. One of my interviewees said to me that governments divide far easier than people. I think it's true. Next time on Partition, I spoke to Shanti Tangri about how he escaped from Lahore to Kashmir in 1947. He shared an abundance of harrowing memories with me. So I would just listen to the radio, read the newspaper, and there were articles about that fire in downtown Lahore and so on. We started worrying about what's going to happen when Pakistan arrives. Until next week, I'm Neha Aziz, and this is Partition. Partition was developed as a part of the Next Step initiative created by Anna Hosnier, Joelle Monique, and Yesenia Median. Partition is produced by Anna Hosnier, Trisha Mukherjee, and Becca Ramos. It is edited by Rory Gagan, with original score composed by Mark Hadley. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.